The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Good morning. Our reading today comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 through 10. You can follow along on the screen behind me or in the Bibles underneath your chair. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is God's word. So as Dale mentioned, we've been in a series called Cross and Crown, the Gospel of Luke, since September. And that's generally what we do. We roll through books of the Bible. Uh, but what we like to do, say what we like to do, like we're, we're still a baby church, right? We're getting ready to be four. Dale, we're going to be four years old next month. Is that next month? Is that right? Next month we'll be four years old. So we're, I don't know, a, I can't, a toddler church. I'm not sure if we're a baby church anymore. Hopefully we're starting to learn how to walk. But we're, we're, we're a little, in so the past couple of years, what we've done this time of year is we just stop in the middle of what we're doing and say, hey, let's just refocus for a bit on what kind of church it is that we want to be. What kind of church, not that just we want to be, but we believe that God has called us to be. And it's not just our church, but it's the church in general. But what is the church supposed to look like? And it's, it's interesting when you think about church. I, 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 I was uh, meeting with some people in Doxa 101 a couple of weeks ago, and we asked the question, hey, what's the first word that comes to your mind when I say the word Church. And we went around the room and had different people answer it. And so maybe just in your head, you can answer now like, hey, when I say the word church, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? We all have different pictures of what church is or should be, what it looks like. Some of us is a positive, whatever the picture is, is a positive picture. Some of us is sort of a negative picture. But we all view it differently. Some of, for some of us, church is a duty, right? Like it's something that we're supposed to do. Just like, you're, you're that kind of person like, hey, you stop behind the line at the red light. You don't stop in the middle. You obey the, the traffic. Like, my daughter, I, I, I had a little bit of conviction recently because my daughter has got to the point now where from the back seat, she can see the speedometer. And she, so she sees what speed I'm going. And she asks me, hey, what's the speed limit here? Or she sees the, the speed limit sign go by. And she's like, dad, it says 55. You're going 57. That's not like, oh, okay, that's, uh, all right. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I got to adjust it here, baby. So she's kind of keeping me accountable, but she, my, my daughter is that kind of person. She's the, the duty girl. She's the rule keeper girl. She's the one who does it by the books. And for you, like church is just what you're supposed to do. And so 
Sunday morning community group or whatever it is that you kind of have your NI, your idea, like this is what you gotta do. You gotta punch your card. You gotta do your duty. And, and frankly, we like you guys because you guys are the ones who here are at 10 o'clock and you're like, hey, it's supposed to start at 10 and it's 10.01. Like, let's get this thing rolling. And, and that's good. It keeps us accountable for that. But like, that's your deal. Like, you're a duty person. Some of us, we view church as, it's more of like a, it's more of like a club, Now, the thing about a club is a club is something that you belong to, that you pay duties and you have duties? You pay dues. Sorry, I had to (laughs) You don't pay duties. That's a a, a joke my son would laugh at. But you pay dues and you have certain responsibilities of being a member of a club. And people are in the club and people are outside the club. And if you're outside the club, you don't have access. But if you're inside the club, then you have to pay your dues and you have to, certain responsibilities that you have to cover. Some of us view church in that way. Uh, some of us view church as a conscience cleanser. Like, hey, I've done my deal this week, and I have to show up to church in my you know, hour or hour and a half or whatever it is. Like, I, I, I get that done, and I feel better about myself. I feel like my conscience is a little bit clean from what, all that I did the past week. Some of us, uh, we view church as something, and I think this is where like most Americans are going that are a part of church. Uh, we, we view it as something that I consume. It's sort of like the rest of American society. Most of American society, we live in a, a, con, a consumption or a consumer economy. Everything that we do, we consume. I pay goods and I get a certain, I, I pay money and I get a certain good or service in exchange. And if you aren't offering me the goods and services that I think that I need or want, I will go somewhere else that is. And we kind of view church like that. Hey, this church has these things that I like, and so I go here, and when they stop, when I stop liking those things, or they stop doing a good job of those things, then I move to the other church down the street that does offer what I want. But Jesus has a very different view of church than that. The way that he views churches, he says that the church, I'm paraphrasing here, he says that the church is the new community of redeemed people who display the beauty of Jesus. The church is the new community of redeemed people who display the beauty of Jesus. Jesus' idea of what the church is, what it's for, and what it does runs far deeper and is far grander than most of us think. There's a man named Bill Hybels out of, just outside of Chicago, and he coined the phrase that the local church is the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world. Do you think about church that way? Do I think about church that way? In our text today that Ashley read for us, Peter lays out how Jesus views the church. He views it as a new community of redeemed people who display the beauty of Jesus. We're going to see three things from the text this morning. Number one, we're going to see that the gospel community, the gospel-created community, which is what the church is, is the community of people that's been created by the gospel. We'll get to that in a second. But the gospel community is a new kind of people. The gospel community is deeply interconnected, and the gospel community displays the beauty of Jesus. When I say the gospel community, it's another way of saying the, the term church. 
But when I say church, we, again, we picture different things in our heads. So I need to try to, we need to try to redefine what church is. It's a gospel-created community, a new community of redeemed people who display the beauty of Jesus. First of all, the gospel community is a new kind of people. Peter starts off this section back in verse 4. He says, as you come to him... It's a picture of how we become believers. As you come to him, and that him is Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. What he's saying there is Jesus, whenever he lived, as we're seeing in the, the book, in the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus lived and taught, he wasn't really appreciated for who he really was. He would gather a crowd, the crowd would leave, gather a crowd, the crowd would leave. But before it's all said and done, almost everybody has turned against him except his very core group of people. And they even end up, one of his top three buddies, Peter, ends up denying that he even knows who he is by the end of it. And his own people, the Jews, who were God's chosen people, again, we'll get to that in a second as well, his own chosen people, they reject him, turn him over to the authorities, and he is killed in a brutal death. His own people did not accept him. They rejected him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, his son, he was chosen. He was chosen and precious. And you yourselves, verse 5, like living stones, who first of all, we come to Jesus, the living stone, who others have rejected and who other people, when they hear about Jesus, they still reject him. They view him as uh, a good man or kind of a, a man or a lot of legend has been built about him. He maybe has some good teaching for us, but he's not who Christians say he is they reject him, but to us who are believers, when we, for again, I say it oftentimes, but you may have heard the gospel over and over again. You might have grown up in church. You might have heard it from your parents. You might have heard it on TV. You might have read it in your Bible, or maybe you never heard it before. And one day you sat in a service like this, or you were sitting across from somebody who was sharing with them or sharing with you how Jesus had changed their life. And for some reason that day, it, what was once foolishness to you all of a sudden became precious to you. Jesus, who once was somebody who you never thought about, all of a sudden became the center of your life. We, like living stones, came to the stone that was rejected by other people. We are being built up, again in verse 5, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The wording that he's using there would make people who are reading it think about the temple, which is where, which was the building in the middle of Israel and Jerusalem set up on a, on, a, on, a, on a large hill or a mount or a mountain that was where God's presence dwelt with his chosen people. In this temple made of human hands, Inside that temple, the actual presence of God dwelt in the middle of his people. And what he's saying is that you and I, when you come to Christ, if you are a believer in Christ, when you come to him, he's taking you as a living stone. 
And he's taking you as a living stone, and he's taking you as a living stone, and you as a living stone, and he is piecing us and building us together as you would take bricks and, or, or stones, and you would put mortar down, and you would stick another stone or brick, and then a, more mortar, and another stone or stick, another stone or brick, and you would build a wall, and then you would build an actual structure that for them, the temple would house the presence of the living God. He is taking us together and building us together to be a people for God's own possession, to be the place where God's presence dwells on earth. Now, I don't know what you think of the church as or what you think of happened when you became a believer, but do you think about it in those terms? That the church, these people that you're gathered here sitting beside, you're looking around and honestly, it's early morning, you may not have had enough coffee yet when you come in on Sunday morning and some, like, I don't really want to talk to people, I'm not sure if I like these people, uh, why these people look at me, why they're trying to shake my hand at the end, I really just want to go straight out and get my car and leave because I've done my duty, I've got my conscience cleared, I'm, part, I'm not really a part of this club yet, like, I, like, however it is that you view church, like, that's how you kind of view it, but do you view it like, if you are a believer, he is taking you and you and you and together he is building us together into the people into the place where God's presence dwells here on earth so that he can display who he is. Peter uses four phrases to describe how it is that we are being built together. He, he's talking about how we are a whole new people. The gospel community is a new kind of people. Listen to these phrases that he used. Look in verse 9. But, but you, he's talking, just before that, he's talking about the people who have rejected Jesus as the, that he became the cornerstone. But to those who did not accept him, he was a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Don't you see that in the people around you who don't believe? That might be your family members. It might be friends, it might be neighbors. Like when you talk about Jesus or you talk about church or they find out that you're a Christian, you can see the look on their face. Jesus is still a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to them. Verse nine, but you, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. When he uses this first phrase, a chosen race, this is the wording that God used in the Old Testament whenever he talked about his people Israel. Now, his people Israel, the descendants of Abraham, were God's chosen people that he made a promise to Abraham and then to all his generations after him that he, they would be his special people and that through the people of Israel, he would show his glory to the rest of the people on the earth. They were his chosen people. It's the way that God spoke about them. And it's the way that they spoke about themselves. We are a chosen people or a chosen race. It, 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 that word race is the, is the word uh, that we get the word gene from, or genos. It has to do with a people who are related by blood to each other. Uh, racial stock that you're a part of. Uh, now, in this room, maybe not quite as uh, multicolored as I would like it to be, but in this room, as we are here in this room, we all come from different racial stock, now, I actually, I, I mean, obviously I'm white. I'm very white, sort of pasty white. I know that that's kind of who I am, but I don't really know where, who my people are behind a couple of 
generations. My great-grandfather on my mother's side, he was, a, uh, he was an orphan who just showed up in Ori County, and nobody knows where he came from before that. My, my people on my dad's side, they don't uh, pass like maybe three generations, don't have any idea where we came from or who we are. But I do know that we're really white. So, so whatever is mixed in there, that's sort of my background. But I'm sort of, so, so I'm, I'm Ori County, white country. That's, that's sort of, that's my, that's my racial stock that I come from. That's my people, where I come from. I don't know where you're, who your people are. My, my wife is uh, first generation American on her mother's side and second generation or third generation American on her dad's side. Her great grand, her grandfather was from Wales. He was conceived on the boat coming over from to to America, and his uh, her mother is is Laotian from Thailand. What's your racial stock? Now I don't know what kind of your background is when it comes to race, but I'm from the South, and race relations tend to be a pretty sticky subject. I remember, I shared this before, I remember when I, I'm from Conway, which is a little bit west from here, I remember whenever I was younger, about uh, upper elementary school, lower middle school, uh, the NAACP pulled, did a, uh, pulled the, all the African-American players from the Conway High football team because of an incident that happened. And there were marches and it made national news for the racial tensions. That, that's in, this in, in my, my boyhood. My mother, who is fairly young, remembers being desegregated in school. Our terrible history when it comes to race as a country is not that far behind us. In fact, it's not really that behind us at all if you've been watching the news recently. That's one of the headlines that's dominated news over the past 18 months. And we often define ourselves by our race, by our people, by our family. Who's my family? Who are my race? Who are my people? But Jesus is saying through Peter in this section, that if you are a believer in Jesus, you are now a chosen race. What he's saying is he's creating through the, because if you're related to other people, you're related by blood. He's, he's creating by a new set of blood, Jesus Christ's blood, a new chosen people, a new chosen race that transcends your racial stock. Whatever blood that you have running through your body or genes that you have a part of your makeup, if you are a believer in Christ, that transcends what your background is. It doesn't supersede it, but it transcends it. You are no longer, I am no longer primarily a white southern man. I am primar- nor am I primarily an American. I am primarily a son of the most high God. And that's who my greatest affiliation is with. And those things are secondary and third. They're, way, they're far down the list. It doesn't mean that I'm not any of those things. 
But it means the thing that supersedes or lays, overlays that is the fact that I am a son of God. I'm a part of a new chosen race. And notice that it says a chosen race and not a choice race. He's saying if you are a child of God, if you are a believer, you are a part of a new race of people that transcends the blood that runs through your veins and the genes that are in your body, not because he looked down upon you and said, hey, you are awesome, I got to have you on my team, but he chose you regardless of anything that you had going for yourself. And that is a humbling thing, but it's also an encouraging thing. Because those days when you feel like, hey, I don't feel like I'm all that great a person. I don't feel like I'm a member of a chosen race. I don't believe that I'm special in any way. I've really been a terrible believer, a terrible Christian, a terrible person. I don't see what God could love or care about for me. He chose you regardless of anything that you had done, not because you were choice. Like, have you ever gone to the store and you see the different kinds of beef there's like prime and then there's choice and then there's like whatever you, you buy at a really cheap grocery store because you don't have enough money to get the, the nicer stuff. He's not saying you're prime or your choice. He's saying I chose you and I took your, your jacked up whatever you brought to the table and I'm making you something that's choice. Not because you were great in your own, but because I'm making something great out of you. He says, you're a chosen race. He says, you are a royal priesthood. The idea of a priesthood is a, a priest is someone who represents the God to the people around them and then represents the people back to God. And what he's saying that our role is as believers, our role as the church is that we are called to be a royal priesthood. We are children of the king and our role is to represent God to the rest of the world around us. And in the same way, represent them to God. In, in your local sphere of influence, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your place where you hang out or drink coffee or work out, who is going to pray for those people if not you? Who's going to be the person who's going to stand the gap between what they rightfully have coming to them and begging and asking God, would you awaken them and bring to them the same knowledge that you brought to me? Would you cause them to be born again as you cause me to be born again? Except you, you are a, if you're a believer, you are a royal priest in those circumstances, then he says, you are a holy nation. That word nation there is the word that we get ethnic from. It's ethnos. It has to do with culture or nationality more than just the genes that you happen to have or don't have, the blood that you happen to have or don't have. Who are your people? Let's just be open and honest for a second. You don't have to say it out loud. But who are your people? Like, you know. Let's just be honest. You have certain people that you know like, hey, these people are my people. These are the people that I understand how they think. 
I know what they like. I can have conversations with them. We get along. We share a common income level or a a common interest that we have. We have certain things in common. And you know, and we kind of know, right? It's kind of a, it's, it's, When you get older, it's less said out loud than middle school or high school, but we still kind of follow the same rules. Like, those are those people, and these are my people, and never the two shall meet unless we absolutely have to. These are my people. It's your culture. And Jesus, through the gospel, is creating a new people, a new ethnos, a new ethnicity, a new nationality, a new people that you are a part of. And that transcends your natural interests, your background, your temperament, the, area, the culture that you come from, the area of the country or the world that you come from. It transcends all of those things. The gospel creates a new ethnos, a new culture. And then he says, a people, a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Again, to the Jews that would have read this, the children of Abraham who would have read this, this would have, it would have sent off sparks in their brain when they heard it because it's the kind of wording that God used about his people in the Old Testament. He used phrases like this, Isaiah 43, 21, the people whom I formed for myself that they might declare my praise. Malachi 3, 17, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Over and over again in the Old Testament, when God was talking about his people, he called them his treasured possession. And if you are a believer in Christ today, you are a treasured possession of Jesus. Now what this is all saying is that the gospel creates a new kind of people that that reaches across race, that reaches across culture, and reaches across temperament and makes a new people under one banner that reaches across race that reaches across culture and reaches across temperament and the gospel of Jesus is the only thing that does that no matter how much we may want unity in our community unity in our nation unity in our world we can never quite get there because The word that we use a lot is tolerance. We want to be tolerant of people who are not like us. And frankly, that's really a low bar for people who are living around each other. Like, if I'm hanging out with with Megan, she's my wife, and I'm hanging out with Dale, my friend, and I say, hey, you guys, I know we have some differences. I know... Like, I do tolerate the Gamecock deal, but the other things, like, I, I know, like, there's certain things that we share that are different. I, I'm, I'm going to tolerate those differences about you. That doesn't really show any sort of real 
affection between us. It just says, hey, I won't make a big deal about it with you if you don't make a big deal. That's kind of what Dale and I have with Clemson and Carolina. Like we just won't make a deal about it with each other, but the other things we'll hang out with each other with. And we do that in life. But what that does is it doesn't actually tear down walls. It just tears down strife and fighting back forth. It just, it keeps up walls between us actually. Because we don't engage with other people who are different from us because we don't want to cause waves. Tolerance is a very, very low bar in hanging out with other people and getting along with other people. In Ephesians 2, Paul tells us, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. What he's saying there is the problem that we have with each other who don't have the same racial background or temperamental background or cultural background that we have. The problem that we have with each other is not just that I don't like that you pull for Carolina or that you put sauerkraut on your hot dog or that you use mustard-based barbecue or I don't understand your language or that you are a different color than I am. The problem between us is the problem between me and God. And the fact that God and I, that the fact that God and I are not right with each other causes me to try to find my justification, my sense of satisfaction, my sense of self-worth that should only be based upon my relationship with Christ, I try to find that based upon my relationship with you. And the way I feel better about myself is to find ways that I can put you down or build myself up. And so therefore, I build myself up because I'm Southern and you're Northern. You put sauerkraut on your hot dog and you're crazy. Or you put mustard-based barbecue. Because I know like you're a mustard-based guy, I can know I'm better than you are. Because I know that I'm a Clemson guy and you're not. I know that I'm better than you are. Because, and and when it, it can get really, really insidious though. Because you're fatter than I am or I'm fatter than you because your color is a different color than I am or your, your accent is different than mine or you make less money or more money than I do or you live in a different section of town than I do. These are stupid things to build self-worth on but it's what we're left with when our self-worth is broken between me and God. And therefore, there's always strife between us. And it can never, those walls of hostility can never be broken down until the wall of hostility between God and me is broken down. And when that's broken down and I find myself worth and value in him, then I can be humble and loving with the people around me no matter what they look like. It's a key outworking of the gospel. And if you're not there yet, the gospel has not yet gotten deep, deep down into your heart and self-worth to allow you to break down those walls of hostility that are built up between you and other people, or me and other people. The gospel, excuse me, the gospel community is a new kind of people. And secondly, the gospel community is deeply interconnected with each other. If you are a Christian, you are no longer defined by who your people are, for better or for worse. 
For some of us, we feel bad about ourselves because, and this, and this is me, I'll just be honest. I've, since I've started preaching, I've been talking a lot more about how I come from the country and I come from poverty, but for a long time, that, I was very embarrassed about that and I would not share that with other people. Because I did not want them to know that was what my background was from. Because my self-worth was tied up in that. And for some of you, you come from a very different background. Who your people are. And you built your self-worth very high because of who your people are. If you're a Christian, you're no longer defined by that. You're defined by the love that, that you are chosen by God. Not choice, but chosen by God. And he has placed his undying, covenantal, never-changing love upon you. And it was worth him sending his son to die for you. And it was worth doing all the, and only you know your story, all the millions of things that he had to do to draw you to himself. Those seemingly insignificant events that happen in your life that are significant to you that you know God did this and he did this and he did this and that's how he brought me to himself. If you're a Christian, you're no longer defined by who your people are. You're no longer defined by where you're from. You're no longer, de- 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 you're no longer defined by how you are put on the hook, your personality, your health, your natural entrance, or your intelligence. You are no longer defined by those things. You're defined by his never-ending love that has been placed upon you through Christ. And here's the key. Is that it is only by us living in this interconnected way where we are no longer have to place these dividing walls between each other. We can be being built together into a dwelling place for God. It is only as we are being built together with no dividing walls between all of our different backgrounds, all of our different stories. Some of you grew up in church and lived a good life. Some of you were hellions and came to Christ. Some of you are still a hellion. Some of you have some from different countries. Some of you have different colors. Some of you speak different languages and have different accents. It's only as we are being built together with all our different stories that how he brought us together and how he brought us to himself as only as we are being built together as living stones as only as we are doing that that we get to see Jesus because your story is not enough for you to know how glorious and beautiful Jesus is it's only as you're sitting around in your community group or having coffee with somebody or lunch and you ask them, what's your story? And you hear somebody who has a very different history, a very different background, a very different story to yours, that all of a sudden you begin to see more and more the beauty and glory of Jesus. It's only as you're sitting in a group and someone's sharing something that's breaking their heart or sharing a story, a part of their past that is, that is, that they are heartbroken over that you cry with them about, even though you cannot personally relate to them, that you begin to see the beauty that is found in Jesus. It's only as we are being built together that we get to see Jesus in his beauty. It's only as we are being built together that we get to fully enjoy Jesus. Jesus is not a white southern dude. Jesus has, Jesus is determined to 
pull for himself a people from every tribe, language, and tongue. And it's only as we are together that we get to hear and enjoy the beauty that's found in Jesus. In all the different languages, in all the different flavors. Some of you are more cerebral, some of you are more emotive, and we drive each other crazy. But it's only as we're sitting together in a room hearing how you think and you hear how I feel or vice versa that we get to more fully enjoy who Jesus is together. It's different than diversity. It's not just putting up with people. It's not simply being tolerant. It's discovering that we have a deeper unity than race, culture, and temperament. Those things that usually define us but no longer do. The gospel community is deeply interconnected. And the gospel community displays God's beauty. Let me share this and we'll be done. He says that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And then there's a beautiful word there. And the word is that, that. So why are, you, are, why are we a chosen race? Why are we a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession? Why are we a whole new people? Why is the church a new people? Why is the church a new community of redeemed people? And he tells us why. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter tells us that we have become a new people so that we may proclaim and display. When you read that word there, excellencies, read the word beauty. The beauty of Jesus. Us having deep community across racial, cultural, and temperamental lines worships Jesus. It's one way that we worship Jesus. When I'm gathering here in this room with you guys, when we're talking, when we're before and after, and, and we, might have, we might have very little in common naturally. Uh, but look, you know what? We have less in, we have far more in common than I had with my friend Victor when I went to India last time and I stayed in his house. And he and I shared very little in terms of, nothing in terms of culture. We shared very, uh, he spoke language, uh, he, spoke, he speaks English actually pretty well, but it's still broken and nobody else in his household spoke English. And when I was sitting there sharing a meal with them, you know what I discovered? That I had more in common with them than some of my own family members who don't know Christ. It ran deeper we laughed together. We enjoyed figuring out how our cultures were different. We enjoyed, he enjoyed, he would laugh whenever I would taste food that I didn't like or was too spicy for me. And when I, we took him out to get pizza, we laughed that they were trying to figure out how this whole thing worked together. When we have deep community, not just like passing conversation, when we're sitting together and we are learning how to live life together across racial, cultural, and temperamental lines, that worships Jesus. 
when we have deep community across racial, cult- racial, cultural, and temperamental lines, that declares the truth of the gospel to those who are outside the church. Jesus said, you will be my dis- they will know that you're my disciples. How? By your love for one another. It takes very little to love somebody like you. If I'm hanging out with somebody who likes Clemson, is a little bit geeky, Uh, enjoys coffee and fine food, like, what's the big deal if I hang out with that person? That's me. (laughs) But when I'm hanging out with somebody who shares none of those things in common, and we don't just tolerate each other, but we deeply love each other, that declares to people outside there's something different here. When you see a people who are praying together and worshiping together and serving together who don't share anything in common except Jesus but are learning to love each other, that declares the truth of the gospel to those who are outside the church. There's a term, you might be a, a, a word that you might be aware of is called apologetics. It's the way that uh, Christians try to use to explain the truth of who God is to those who are outside the church. And it definitely has a true, it it can be very useful. But it's really not all that convincing to people. If you can prove to someone that God exists or that at least their belief in evolution or not God is just based as much in faith as our belief in God is, it really doesn't convince anybody's heart. You know what convinces their heart? When enemies love each other. This isn't saying that the kingdom of God is a melting pot where we all come together and all our cultures and languages and colors mix together and we don't see any difference between us and it all kind of blends into one bland tasting meal. Our cultures, our temperaments, our races coming together isn't a melting pot. It's more like a crown where each of our different colors each of our different language, each of our different culture, each of our different background, each of our different personality and temperament is all being placed into the crown of King Jesus. And each of them individually reflects a bit of what he is like, but together it's dazzling. Hear Revelation. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from, for God from what? From every tribe and language and people and nation. And then down in chapter 7, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude. So John's getting a glimpse into heaven and what it looks like when God has wrapped this whole age up and he is made all things new and all things right. I saw a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and all tribes and peoples and languages. Let me just ask you, how does he know if they're from different people, if they're from different nations, if they're from different tribes, if they're different languages and nations, if he doesn't see different colors and hear different languages and see a difference in culture there? Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne 
gospel community displays God's beauty. Now, I got excited and I've run out of time. But let me run just a, a couple of practical things for us if you would give me a couple minutes. The question is, all right, Randy, how do we go about this? Right? Another question, how do we get there? Well, the answer is I don't know all the answer, but here's a place where we can start. First of all, bring the gospel to bear on your own heart. Figure out, become a student of your heart to figure out when it is that you are feeling better about yourself compared to other people, and when are you feeling worse about yourself compared to other people. And in that place in your heart and mind, continually bring the truth of the gospel to bear that your right standing before God is not found in the fact that you are better, smarter, prettier, richer, poorer than anyone else. That your right standing before God is based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. And pleasure is found in knowing Christ. Continually bring, it won't break in a day, but continually bring to bear upon those places in your heart and mind the truth of the gospel until you feel those walls of hostility being broken down. And you can talk to somebody who is different from you, prettier than you, smarter than you, richer than you, a different color than you, from a different area in the world or country than you, without feeling that feeling inside yourself where you're trying to push them down and push yourself up. We no longer need to build dividing walls between us, but we do need to reach across those divides. If God's going to be glorified in our midst, we're going to enjoy him and the people outside are going to see him. Secondly, practice friendships with people who aren't like you. Practice friendships. It may take some practice. How do you have a conversation with someone who has no interest like you have? You start asking them questions. Find out who they are. Be intentional. Move towards those who are not like you. Be deferential towards them, not out of fear, but out of humble love and respect for them, knowing that in this person that I'm talking to, it might be here on a Sunday morning or in your community group or outside of your normal comfort zone at work or school or neighbors, be deferential to them to find out what, what God, what do you have to show me about yourself through this person? If you come with that sort of mindset, you will be deferential towards them and not overbearing. Be open to them. Approach them with open mind and an open heart. Not just willing to put up with somebody who's not like you, but being open to them and trying to learn. You might learn about their story that might help you learn to think, to, to learn why they think and act the way that they do. And third, so we want to bring the gospel to bear in our heart, practice friendships, and then thirdly, we want to extend our definition of family. Family are those people who have a claim on your time and on your energy. But if, let's just, not everyone in this room is a believer, 
I hope you become one today if you're not. But everybody in this room who is a believer, you are a son or a daughter of the Most High God, and that makes me your brother. We're a family. We need to extend our idea of what family is. Who, who, can, who has the freedom to stop by your house and see it when it's not perfect? Family does. Extend that idea of family, and that will extend the time and hours that you'll actually accept people into your home. Practice Christian hospitality. It's not hospitality if you're just putting your best foot forward all the time and you're only inviting people over who are like you. It's hospitality whenever you're willing to open your doors even when it's not convenient and you're having people over who aren't like you. And then I'll just throw this in there. Also, extending our definition of family, that involves both informal and formal adoptions. There's been a great movement across Christianity in the the past couple of decades of believers reaching out and adopting people that don't look like them into their family, sons and daughters. And I think that's a beautiful way to reflect the mosaic of Christ. But also when us informal adoptions, adopting someone who needs a father figure or a mother figure or finding someone who is older than you that may not look like you and act like you and adopting them as your parents, fathers and mothers in the faith. And then lastly, uh, Dale mentioned we've seen movement in the direction of becoming a multicultural community here, but pray that God would continue to build that here in our midst. We want DOXA not just to reflect our community and its diversity, we want it to supersede that diversity. So when someone walks in or they hang out with your community group, they say, what could cause these people from different cultures, different races, and different temperaments to be together and laugh and live life together unless the truth of Jesus is real? Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.